October 1st, 2015. This is the Hermetic Hour. I'm your host, Poke Runyon. And tonight we present the third in our series of lectures on the spheres of the Tree of Life, the seventh sphere, Netzach, the sphere of nature attributed to Venus and the home of the goddess Astarte. Netzach has been called the sphere of the mysteries and the womb of the creative process. The goddess herself is in the seventh sphere in that she contains all the spheres of the tree within herself and is thus the supreme initiator. Once again, we'll refer to the texts by Gareth Knight, Dion Fortune, John Michael Greer, and our own Hermetic Yoga Volume 1. So come join us for some deep meditations and reflections on the most intimate aspects of occultism. And now we'll start off with uh, uh, with, uh, page 78 in uh, Hermetic Yoga um, describing Netzach. Netzach, the sphere of nature, Venus, Noga. Netzach is the sphere of nature attributed to the planet Venus and the home of the goddess Astarte, who is also referred to as the Queen of Heaven. We venerate Astarte as the divine body containing all the roses and jewels of the Hermetic Caduceus. That's chakras to you people who are still eating curry. And as such, she becomes the supreme initiating priestess. And the jewels about her goddess, worn by the priestesses of her temple, are their dispensation from the goddess herself to awaken and empower the psychic centers of her initiates. In her icon, she is shown before the original setting of the first seasonal drama, the source of the river Adonis at Afaka in the Lebanon. Come to us from far Afaka's spring and shrine and sacred tree, where roses bloom by lofty cedars, and a crimson river seeks the sea. And I'm quoting from the Adonia ceremony. Now you will note, if if you're looking at the picture in the book, that the ox goat of Shamgar, the son of Kusor, and Anath is stuck in the sacred cedar tree behind the goddess. Now to say that we worship the goddess Astarte would be misleading. In the hermetic tradition, we only worship God, the creator. All of the gods, goddesses, angels, and spirits are manifestations and agents of God's creation. This includes the ancient pagan dying gods and avatars such as Baal and Astarte, Melkart, Hercules, Osiris, and Isis, and even Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Because we consider the physical universe to be female, the Soma Sophia represents the celestial goddess and Astarte is her terrestrial form. Astarte holds all of the psychic centers, the mystic jewels and roses, the chakras within her body. And thus, we venerate her in a form of meditative worship akin to the Eastern practice of bhakti yoga, the yoga of worship. But for those who find this less than satisfying, we should remind them that God, as El or Al, in the Phoenician tradition, rules with his consort, Lady Asherat of the Sea, the Queen of Heaven, of which Astarte is considered the terrestrial aspect. Now, let me explain a little bit about two things. Uh, the icon of Astarte uh, is, is the picture of Astarte, Anapaka. And uh, let me explain a little bit about this. Um, uh, Afaka is a, is a spring, sort the source of the river Adonis in, uh, in, in Lebanon. And it uh, it comes out of a of a cave, a, a grotto, and this waterfall falls down, and uh, and then runs out uh, uh, to the sea, to the Mediterranean. Now, um, once a year, in the rainy in the rainy season, once a year in the springtime, the rain the rains uh, over overswell the uh, water table, and. And the river Adonis rises as the rushing waters go down toward the sea. And it rises and it hits a hematite layer 
of stratification in the side of the of the gorge, and the river turns red. Uh, the river turns red, not not exactly blood red, sort of a rusty red, but uh, this is symbolic, uh, a natural, uh, naturally symbolic of the uh, the dying god. Um, uh, in this case, uh, a later a later version of Baal, uh, known as known as Adon, uh, and uh, who was supposedly. According to the last version of the legend, he was gored by a wild boar up there, and 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 uh, uh, up there at the spring, and uh, the goddess, of course, trying to resurrect him. Uh, and uh, but the earliest version of this was the uh, the Adonia of uh, Baal and Astarte, way back all around about uh, 2000 BC, uh, and um, in this case. Uh, Baal is slain by the Dark Lord Mote, the Grim Reaper, uh, and uh, Astarte comes and and promises to the to the faithful uh, uh, worshippers that she will return in the fall and resurrect Baal, and, and she will also uh, battle with Mote and and kill Mote. Well, we just finished doing that. Um, at at, uh, at Rivendell, we just finished our 41st uh, presentation of the of the Festival of Seven Gates, in which Astarte uh, comes down through all the seven gates of the underworld and resurrects Baal in the uh, uh, who is uh, uh, stretched out on his on his his funeral bier, and uh, she anoints his psyche centers and gives him the Grail to drink. And with the, with the honey, uh, with the honey, uh, mean uh, seminal sacrament that uh, revives him, and uh, and so uh, he gets up and 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 says, "I have not been dead, but only sleeping, hardly longer than a wink. I'll be up and rolling thunder once I've had another drink." And of course, that's my cue to roll the spring drum and create the thunder out there, you know, because I was running, I was running music and special effects for, for, for this. Uh, and, uh, then, uh, you know, Astarte and Baal, um, administer the, in the sacrament of the celebrants and, uh, and, and that, that's the ceremony. Now this is a, the ceremony is, uh, at this point is about 4,000 years old. And, uh, Reason why I mention this is that uh, uh, this is this is the origin, and this was, according to uh, the anthropologist Jesse Rustin, this was the origin of the holy, the original origin of the Holy Grail. Now, um, well, I also mentioned the jewels about her goddess, and uh, I wish we I wish we could show you the the icon of Astarte here holding the Grail. And wearing the jewels about her goddess, the harness. The jewels uh, are positioned on the psychic centers, the seven psychic centers or chakras, uh, uh, going all the way from from her from her forehead uh, down to her uh, her uh, nether region, and uh, um, and they represent all of the uh, uh, the major spheres of the tree of life, going down the lightning flash. And the one we're discussing tonight is right at her solar plexus, and that's the seven, uh, the seven-pointed star of Venus or Netzach, and that particular jewel is right at the solar plexus in this, in this, uh, this golden jeweled harness that that, uh, that the priestess wears. Now, um, let me uh, continue with this uh, uh, description in the book here. Um, you will note the ox goat of Shamgar, the son of Kusur, and Anath, stuck in the sacred tree behind the goddess. Now you may, those of you regular listeners may recall that we have uh, we have recreated the uh, the legend of Shamgar, the um, uh, I think he was the third judge of Israel, but he was a he was a Phoenician pirate who uh, who. Uh, um, Rescued the the, the the Israelis, and as according to the Bible, he slew six hundred Philistines with an ox goad. In other words, he 
he set the pattern for, for the later Samson, who was another judge, who did it, who who, who killed a bunch of them uh, with the jawbone of an ass. But but Shamgar came first and did in 600 of them with a with an ox goad. Now an ox goad looks kind of uh, you know it's, it's a sort of a spike uh, with a hook on it, and um, and uh, so we find that that the Shamgar's ox goad stuck in the tree up there at Afaka, and there's a story behind that, which we will tell at some future date. Okay. Now, to say that we worship the goddess Astarte would be misleading, and I think we I read that over, and I said um, that we should all, we should remind that, that the god El, or Al, in the Phoenician tradition, rules with his consort, Lady Asherah of the Sea, the Queen of Heaven, of which Astarte is considered a, terrest- a terrestrial aspect. Now, let's also remind you that uh, in our in our antique tradition, we venerate El, Father El, uh, and he is the original Most High God. And he's the most high. He, he's the most high god of Melchizedek, uh, the Jebusite Canaanite high priest who who uh, gave uh, Abraham his first uh, his first communion, um, and uh, and uh, Melchizedek means, by the way, priest king. And Melchizedek was certainly a Canaanite, and El was the was the father of the gods. Analogous in some ways to Zeus, he, he was because he ruled from the top of Mount Zaphon, which was the, the sacred mountain in those days uh, in the Lebanon. Now, um, uh, El was the Most High God, and he was always referred to as El the Compassionate. He had another name, Latipan, but 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 he was always rather whether Latipan or El, he was referred to as El the Compassionate, and uh, this is quite different from uh, from Yahweh or Jehovah, who was uh, certainly not compassionate, and uh, and in fact, uh, <laughs> I uh, I got a chance finally to see. Uh, Ridley Scott's Exodus the other night, and uh, and and Ridley Scott pictured Jehovah as a twelve-year-old boy having a temper tantrum, and and in many ways, I I, I you know I kind of that that particular scene where uh, where Moses is is really really. Uh, really upset about the, the the plagues that that uh, Jehovah is bringing on the Egyptians, and he goes up the mountain and he tries to reason with with this twelve year old this twelve year old boy uh, Jehovah, and he tries to reason with him and he says, you know, I can't I, I can't I can't be a party to this anymore. I, I grew up with these people. What are you? This is horrible. You, you got to stop doing it. And Whereupon the, the kid stomps his feet and goes into a tantrum and starts talking about how terrible the Egyptians are, and then he finally says, "And you haven't seen anything yet. When do you see what I'm going to do now?" <laughs> and of course, that was killing all the firstborn. So, so uh, Jehovah uh, uh, was not uh, the Most High God of Melchizedek. He was not the God uh, of uh, Melchizedek who blessed Abraham to start with. That was originally hell and. And it continued to be El. Uh, halfway, uh, half the books in the Bible are still what we call the lowest books. In other words, they're they're um, uh, they're, they're they're books in which El is God, and uh, and uh, Jehovah got plugged in later. Uh, Ezra Ezra edited edited only uh, the lowest books. Uh, and, and he put uh, and, and he stuck YHVH in there. Uh, now, one of the reasons why this is important to the Netzach, uh sphere that we're talking about um, tonight is because the Netzach sphere, according to the Kabbalah, it is uh, it's it's Yahweh Zebaoth, uh is the name of power in Atzeluth, but the the choir of angels are the Elohim. Well, the Elohim—that's 
this is very appropriate. The Elohim, that's Elohist. And and what I mean by that is the Elohim are uh are are plural. They are they are a uh plural and feminine. And so you have what, what they really could be translated if you want to want the best translation of Elohim is the gods and the goddesses. And um and so Netzach partakes of both, except that in the case of applying uh, Yahweh's veil, which of course we have changed to a Masha veil because we don't use uh, the YHVH tetragrammaton. We use a, we use a, a lowest tetragrammaton. So, um, but this is an, again an example of of Ezra's Jehovahing everything, and uh, but which really does not apply to to uh, to Netzach. Netzach's the seventh sphere on the tree of life. I think you all know where that is, and it is directly uh, it is directly superior to Hod. And this is also important because Netzach supplies Hod with natural form uh, forms, inspirations, and ideas in their natural form. And Hod, then the intellectual sphere, processes them into magical images and then transfers them to Yasad, uh, downloads them to Yasad, and, and, and where, they, where they take their final, their final form and then until they become actuated in Malkuth. And this is the, the process that comes down the lightning flash. Now, um, uh, we say that Netzach is the sphere of nature. And in this case, we mean the forces of nature. Now, Dion Fortune, of course, in one of our texts, the Dion Fortune is the mystical Kamala. And in this case, this is Dion Fortune is, is quite, quite good on this, and she has really uh, done a very thoughtful article on Netzach in her book. And... And one of the complicating, complicated things about this sphere, and this, and this, this is a complicated, Netzach is a complicated concept, because um, what we're dealing with here is the is the formation of of the the Elohim of the gods and the goddesses, and as uh, Dion Forch explains, and as as we most of us are aware, that. Pagan, ancient pagan gods and goddesses are personifications of forces of nature and particular aspects of human character that relate to those forces of nature. And and uh, Dion Fortune goes into uh, some detail about the idea that you know where Hermes says. Uh, and I've quoted this I don't know many, how many times in our in our uh, lectures. Uh, Hermes says, "Man creates the gods of the earth sphere, and the gods of the zodiac are eternal." And Dion Fortune, uh, extrapolating from that, uh, deals with the idea that the these these personifications of natural forces and human characteristics that, that are influenced by those natural forces, that this, these are projected upward. If we're all down here in Malkuth uh, and, uh, and also in, in Yasod, which is part of also uh, Yasod, as you know, is the, is the gateway to the astral, but part of it is still in the etheric. And, uh, and, uh, so what Dion Fortune is saying, in line with what Hermes is talking about, is the projection upward of these concepts, of these concepts of the gods, the creation of the gods, and the idea of creating uh, of enough people believing in these uh, these entities that actually, uh, if enough people believe in them and enough people uh, make images of them and enough people uh, pray to them and make sacrifices to them and all of that, they actually can acquire a form of life, and they do. And and uh, and they, they acquire a form of life and an image, 
and they they become they become an entity. In other words, we are creating we are creating our own uh, gods and goddesses, and uh, and projecting them upward to be reprojected to be reprojected and formed downward. Now, uh, this goes here again along with hermetic principle: as above, so below; as within, so without; and as we say. Uh, know yourself. You are God to us, Deus. That that uh, all of us. You can this 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 is a this is a, a fair a fair hermetic analogy. The God spark in all of us in all the the whole human race, regardless of race, creed, color, whatever. The all the whole human race uh, is is actually in a sense one huge colony creature. You know, when I say a colony creature like a Portuguese man of war, you know, a Portuguese man of war is that great big that great big jellyfish with a sail. And it's made up. That that creature is made up of of millions of small little creatures, all all hung together. And they have, and they make their own shape, and they have that sail, and all those, uh, and all those uh, feelers hanging down, and all that. So here's a whole bunch of creatures that get together, little creatures, and form a greater creature. And and it's a perfectly good concept to say, uh, especially because, uh, it, yes, it says in the Bible, and we also believe God created man in His own image, and conversely. Man created God in his own image. Because all of us together, all of these little divine sparks, all of us together form this, this great big colony animal called humanity. And and uh, and so we are we are projecting upward and and uh and God in turn is projecting downward. And this is a concept that as I say I encourage you to read Dayan Fortune's The Mystical Kamala uh, because she she deals with this and she also relates it in terms of modern psychology and uh, and it's uh, it's uh, a very uh, satisfying uh, exposition. Now um, let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the, the different God forms. That we that we deal with. For one thing, Netzach is the sphere of Venus, and the emblem of Venus is a seven-pointed star, a septagram. All right, there's seven points, seven days of the week, and the seven planets. And uh, um, so uh, we have essentially seven main uh, psychic centers or chakras, and a, a and a god god form to go in each of them. Now. Um, I know that, that that in the Renaissance, uh, magicians favored uh, European magicians favored a revival of classical Greek Greek and Roman uh, god forms. Now um, that's that's uh, fine, but uh, unfortunately, what happened, even though that was very popular in the in the Renaissance with uh, uh, with uh, um, Pacino and uh, and uh, well, even <laughs> it it got so popular that it got to be it got it got to be kind of uh, it got to be kind of uh, blasé. Uh, and Giordano Bruno even wrote a satire on it called The Triumphant Beast, in which he in which he uh, he actually. Said, what are we worshiping all these 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 Greek uh, these Greek gods for? They're 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 a bunch of hooligans, you know. They they and they're not very moral and they're not very virtuous and all of that. Uh, and he was making a good point there, but uh, except that that these these ancient pagan gods, even though they were capricious and all of that, most of the most of their uh, most of their picadillos and their their activities were pretty good mirrors of of human activity, and in some cases were actually based on it. Because sometimes uh, great heroes in the past were you know, became the 
became the templates and the archetypes for the gods themselves. Now, let's uh, let's ask why, and it's a good question. Why do we in the OTA? Why do we use the ancient Canaanite gods, uh, and why do we do, do use them? in preference to the, the classical pagan deities that the Renaissance magicians used. Well, I wrote a little section here in, in uh, the yoga, the Hermetic Yoga book to explain that. In approaching this Western Hermetic uh, version of Tantric Yoga, one might ask, why do we employ the ancient Canaanite or Phoenician pantheon? Should we not follow the lead of the Renaissance Hermetic magicians and resurrect the classical pagan deities of the Greco-Roman period, as in their use of the Orphic hymns and astrological planetary assignments. Now, we could have done so, but it would have been somewhat anachronistic because the Renaissance neoclassical, uh, because the Renaissance neoclassic revival of hermetic magic went through a Kabbalistic, and then a Rosicrucian, and finally a Masonic phase. Now, let me repeat that slowly and put some dates on it. Uh, because the Renaissance neoclassic revival, that was the ancient, originally that they were talking about the, uh, you know, Ficino and, and, uh, and uh, uh, Campanella and the rest of them, they, and Bruno, they were talking about the, the, the ancient Greek uh, and, and Roman gods. The ancient revival, the neoclassic revival of hermetic magic. But then it went through a Kabbalistic phase. That's when they uh, they didn't really start to deal with the uh, with the Kamala in the Renaissance, the Renaissance magicians, until um, um, uh, Pico della Mirandola and uh, in, the, in the late 1400s and and um, and. And Rosenroth, who, who gave us a Latin version of the Zohar, um, and so then, then we then they then they began to deal with the Kabbalah in magic, and of course that that uh, was primarily angels and and uh, and it's got to be very biblical, and then it went into a Rosicrucian phase. Well, that's uh, and, uh, frankly the Rosicrucian phase. Uh, was a result of the, uh, you know, of the Reformation and whatever, um, and uh, the attempt to uh, uh, to create a mythology based upon uh, Christian Rosencruz, and also um, in the Rosicrucian phase, the Kabbalah was Christianized, and and. Uh, so we got further on. We we got so we started moving from the classical uh, revival of the classical Greek uh, Greek gods and goddesses into the Kamala, and then into uh, into a uh, uh, biblical phase, and then finally we moved past to Rosicrucians, and Masonry, Freemasonry, became the the uh, uh, sort of the uh, the environment in which magic, uh, hermetic magic, uh, flourished. Now, when we reach the uh, Masonic phase, we are at that point. We are very, very much into the into the legendary version of Solomon's Temple. Well, uh, most of you are aware that Solomon's Temple uh, was uh, built um, was built primarily. Uh, you know, to uh, the idea of, of the Masonic idea is uh, we we celebrate the building of, of Solomon's Temple and the and the tragedy or the murder of the architect, um, which is very much like the crucifixion of Jesus. In fact, uh, the raising of Hiram Abiff has been called, uh, uh, you know, a, a Masonic version of of raising of of uh, Jesus' return from the dead. But um, the, um, uh, the the Masonic uh, legend of Solomon's Temple leads us into the whole uh, Canaanite pantheon behind 
behind the Bible because uh, Solomon, as I'm sure everybody who listens to this show is aware, Solomon uh, also built a temple to the goddess Astarte, and uh, and uh, and Hiram of Tyre, the king of the uh, king of uh, Phoenician Tyre, helped in the building of the temple, and the architect Hiram Abiff was uh, was half Jewish and half Phoenician, and so what uh, what the, 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 the behind the Masonic aspect of this lies the return to the ancient gods. In fact, there's even there's even legends where Solomon uh, used um, used the jinn or the spirits. Uh, uh, some people might call them demons to help build the temple. And so the whole school in 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 the middle in in the late Middle Ages and and as and, and in the in the late Renaissance there was a school of Solomonic ceremonial magic, which we have also revived. So, behind all of this, behind Solomon uh, and his legend lies the Canaanite pantheon and uh, Baal and Baal and Astarte and, and, uh, and, and Father El very definitely. Because Solomon, even though, uh, even though uh, Ezra in his rewrite of the Bible makes, makes Solomon seem to be a uh, Yahwehist. Actually, uh, Solomon was very much an Oloist, and very much, uh, you know, uh, his, as far as Solomon was concerned, uh, it was the Most High God of Melchizedek, and, uh, and which is the Phoenician and the Canaanite uh, uh, supreme God. Uh, now, um, to continue with this. Along with tales, uh, the legends surrounding King Solomon and the building of his great temple, along with tales of Jesus and his Holy Grail and Christian Rosencruz became more important to magic than the Greek and Roman myths of an earlier era. The ancient gods behind the Solomonic tradition and Gnostic Christianity were the old gods and goddesses of the Middle East. They fit on the spheres of the capitalistic tree of life. They were cognate with both the Greek and the Babylonian deities. Astarte was both Aphrodite and Ishtar. Baal was Hercules and Jesus. Since the 17th century, magic has been linked with the Bible via the Kabbalah, Masonic, Solomon, and the Arthurian tradition of the Holy Grail. More recently, we can add the year king and the horn god and the eternal goddess of the Wiccan of the Wiccan tradition to our list of similar deities and, and related mythical lore. This is why we venerate the ancient the pre-biblical deities and legends that lie behind these great magical themes. So you should get to know these ancient archetypes, bring them to life within you, and they will be your friends and your helpmates. And just as the old Hindu and Bunpo gods and demons in Tibetan tantric practice are aspects of Buddha. Ours are all aspects of Father El and Mother Asherah, and so would it ever be. Now, um, when I say uh, aspects of El and Mother Asherah, let's be let's be clear about this. Uh, there, there is a problem both with the Aloists. And, uh, and with the Yahwehists, that somewhere or other, they lost the goddess. And, uh, uh, you know, they, they lost the goddess. And, and if you really want to, want to understand the symbolism uh, of, of the universe, realize that, that you can't have one without the other. Because the universe itself is female. Yeah, the universe is female. And we the Soma Sophia is, is the story is the great story vault. The Egyptians called her Nuit. And you remember she she arches her body over the over the earth and and, and, and as as if she's done doing a big push up and she's as she's arching her body over the earth and all the stars the zodiac constellations are all part of the body of the, of the great the great goddess of the heavens 
as she's referred to as the Soma Sophia. And this, so, uh, yes, God can be in, in, a, in, a, in a creative sense, in the, big, in the sense of the Big Bang. God can be um, thought of as a male, a male creative force in the, um, in the womb of, uh, uh, in a, a male creative force which will, which will impregnate the womb of Soma Sophia and, 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 and create the worlds and the suns and, and, and all. But they have to be within her, uh, within her body. Now, um, in our sacred marriage ceremony, uh, Astarte, uh, comes forth and says, uh, uh, with this silver cup of mystery from beyond the veil of night, come I to take the rainbow in my shrine of hidden light. Now, this is, this is, um, one of the key lines in the sacred marriage. Now, that very much concerns uh, Netzach, because in Netzach, we place a very, very, very gigantic goddess Astarte. And the way we conceive that temple in our path workings and in our yoga, we conceive of her temple on the island, uh, on, on the island, uh, in the sea, the island garden with the carp pools and the doves and the roses and, and, and this beautiful temple. And in the middle of this this brown temple with its columns and its veils is a tank like a bath of living water. And the goddess sits in a yoga uh, seat, in a lotus seat, in this in this this tank of living water and she sits there and you can see her she's sort of translucent and she you, we can imagine her as about 50 or 60 feet tall and you can see all of the psychic centers through, the, through her translucent skin you can see the jewels uh, going up and up and up and up and up now in one of our path workers which um, uh, is uh, uh, Available to you, associate members who have done your lessons. You know, you can you can order your your pathworking video and you can do this. Uh, you can go down into the pool of living water and go down and dive down and, and swim right up inside the goddess. Well, that sounds a little a little risque, but but you know, it's a, a swim up inside the goddess and then have the supreme experience. Of doing the master ritual, not inside, not inside yourself this time, but inside the goddess this time. And and this, I can tell you, is a wonderful experience. If you properly, if you if you do this properly, meditate and, and go up, go up the psychic centers inside the goddess, and meet all the the gods and goddesses inside. And it's especially interesting when you get up to uh, up to Netzach and the in the solar plexus is especially interesting because there you meet a smaller goddess version of the goddess inside herself. And uh, I can tell you this this particular um, uh, type of uh, path working uh, or this particular type of meditation is, is really, really remarkable. And uh, now, those of you who have uh, um, have a um, a picture of our our scroll we call we call the scroll Judy because it was originally based on, on a lady named Judy. Um, she's deceased now, bless her heart. But anyway, uh, you look at uh, at, at that sock and the seven pointed uh, star there with a doleth in the middle of it. That's a seed letter, and you notice that that the angel uh, the, the the name in, in uh, the name of power in absolute going down is Amasha Ozebeoth, and that's um, um, uh, you know we're replacing Yahweh with Amasha, which is a which is a twenty-four letter uh, tetragrammaton, and and but coming back coming back up, we're going to open up with the with the angel, and the angel for uh, uh, covering 
uh, Nutsock is Haniel, H-A-N-I-E-L. Now, Haniel, uh, I want to make a little uh, correction here on John Michael Greer and his uh, his article on Nutsock. He says that he can't uh, he can't find any any uh, mythology uh, anything interesting about Haniel uh, that's worth reading, but. Uh, I can't understand why why John can't find anything because I'm sure he has a copy of Davidson's Dictionary of Angels. And if you look in in Davidson and look up Haniel, you will discover that Haniel was the the archangel that lifted Enoch up to heaven for his revelation. And that, that certainly relates to this, this whole uh, uh, Netzach thing because uh, all of the you know the psyche centers the planetary spheres all of them uh, are, are are part of are the original Enochian vision. And when, when I, I don't confuse that with Dean Kelly's Enochian, I'm talking about the Book of Enoch, where Haniel lifts. Uh, uh, not that's not specifically in, in the book of Enoch, but it is a legend that Haniel was the angel that carried him up to up to heaven. Uh, and uh, one of the things about uh, the each each of these uh, each of these spheres or chakras is uh, has has a name and power in Atsaluth that opens it up as you come down from the top following the lightning flash. And as you go back up it's opened up uh, and uh, you go on into the sphere using using the uh, the name of the archangel, you know. So if you're starting from the bottom here, be we we come down, we come all the way down to uh, to another night. Oh, that's down at Malkuf, and then we uh, we uh, kickstart the Kundalini, and and we start going up, and we go up to we go up to uh, Yasod, and we intone Gabriel, and then we go up to Hod. Mikhail, and then we go on up to uh, Netzach, Haniel, and we go on in. Now, um, uh, in in the, the sphere of uh, of Hod, as we discussed last time, this is where uh, Kusor, the blacksmith, Tubal-Cain, has his workshop, and this is the sort of the sphere of the intellect, and and it's it's a science, the sphere of science. And as Dion Fortune describes it, she says uh, that uh, that uh, Netzach is the sphere of, of art, and and uh, and uh, and Hod is the sphere of science. And so what's happening is is the art, the idea, the talent, the art comes down from uh, comes down from. Uh, uh, from Netzach into Hod, where it is where it is rationalized and made scientific, and then transferred from there down to Yasod, where it's actually given its, um, uh, you know, and where, where it's glued together and given a coat of paint, and then sent down to to uh, uh, to Malkuth, uh, where we can buy it on the showroom for yeah. So. Um, the uh, the idea of, of Netzach as this as this uh, place where the ideas the ideas that have been projected upward by this great by uh, uh, each of, each one of us alone, but somehow or other when I remember I said that we were we were. Uh, that God could be thought of in our sense. God could be thought of as a colony animal made up of all the little divine sparks of all the human beings. But the interesting thing about that, that the corollary about that is that if um, if you have really understood, and if you have if you have attained what what was referred to as enlightenment. Then you are actually in contact at at some level. We like we like to use the level of the 
uh, Carl Jung's collective unconsciousness is a good level to put it at. You are actually once you once you uh, receive hermetic enlightenment, you are or should be in contact with all of the whole colony animal, the whole thing. You're you're um, just the whole thing is God, and each one of these little sparks is a, is a sensor, and we can say um, you could you could say. That uh, we are we are the we are the, the the hundred million eyes of God, but we're also the mouths of God, the hands of God, the nose of God. We we uh, and we're here. And one of the aspects of Hermetic philosophy is is that we are here to appreciate we have to, to appreciate God's creation. And if we're appreciating God's creation, that means we are God, because. You know, uh, God has a right to appreciate His creation, and 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 so, and He, uh, according to some aspects of philosophy, created us to appreciate it, and and uh, and we're trying, we're trying as hard as we can, not only to appreciate it but also to preserve it, because we were originally, you know, made stewards of the earth, uh, not not conquerors. We're stewards of we're stewards of nature. Now, um, Netzach has also been called uh, uh, the uh, um, sphere of the philosophers grade in, in the Golden Dawn because uh, the, the philosophical aspects of it are that, that, it is, that it is very fluid and these ideas are very fluid and these creative ideas are in formation and they are flowing from from Netzach down into Hod, where they get where they get rationalized and and made scientific. Doesn't this sound like what's going on in human nature all the time? It really does. I mean, when you think about it, uh, it takes you take all these beautiful, beautiful, wonderful ideas, uh, and and uh, as soon as the as soon as the intellectual uh, get a hold of them, they become. They become uh, uh, made into, into something that is not quite as beautiful as was originally intended. Quite often, uh, and uh, the the but this creative force of nature, and Netzach is, as I say, the sphere of nature, and and uh, the sphere of nature and natural natural philosophy. Now. Um, I wanted to um I wanted to uh uh reveal a little bit um uh, Neon Fortune has a little section in here that, that I would like to read to you because uh it's very I think it's very elegant and um let me, let me read let me read this uh, sort of in summary here. Netzach in the microcosm represents the instinctive emotional side of our nature, and Hod represents the intellect. Netzach is the artist in us, and Hod is the scientist. According to our moods, shift between restraint and dynamism will be the polarity of Hod and Netzach in the microcosm, which is the soul. If there is no Netzach influence to uh, introduce a dynamic element, the over-preponderance of Hahn will lead uh, to all theory and no practice in occult matters. No one can handle magic in whom the sphere of Netzach is not in function. For the skepticism of Hahn will kill all magical images before their birth. Like all things in nature, Hahn unfertilized by its opposing polarity is sterile. There must be something of the artist in every occultist who wants to do practical work. The intellect alone, however powerful, does not confer powers. It is through the net sock in our own nature that the elemental forces obtain access to consciousness. Without net sock, they remain in the subconscious sphere of Yassad, working blindly. It is taught in the mysteries 
that each level of manifestation has its own ethic or standard of right and wrong, and what we must not con- and that we must not confuse the planes by expecting from one the standard of another, which is not applicable thereon. In the realm of the mind, the ethic is truth. On the astral plane, which is the sphere of the emotions and the instincts, the ethic is beauty. We must learn to understand the righteousness of beauty as well as the beauty of righteousness. Oh, that's a good one, isn't it? We must understand the righteousness of beauty as well as the beauty of righteousness. If we want to bring all the provinces of the inner kingdom into obedience to the central power of unified consciousness. In entering upon the region of the four lower sephirot, we are coming into the sphere of the human mind, subjectively considered they constitute the personality and its powers. It is the aim of the occult initiation to develop these powers, and if taken from the higher standpoint, as it always should be, it is not to it is not to generate into black magic to unite them with Zipporah, which is the focusing point of the higher self or individuality. And that is a good place for us to conclude this evening's lecture because next week, next week we are certainly going to be in Tipperet. Unless, of course, uh, you know, unless uh, we had Kareem Alcusa uh, the week before and, uh, and you know, uh, uh, Maybe if Pope Francis decides to pay us a visit, we'll we'll interview him. But if not, we will do Tipperet, and and uh, the, that's the sphere of the sun, and of course the sphere of the Redeemer, and and uh, uh, the sixth sphere. And so um, until then, uh, may the sun shine upon you, and uh, and uh, next week, and we'll we'll be there for. Uh, for Tipper F. And until then, good magic.